This morning, I want to talk to you. We're continuing our series through 1 Thessalonians, entitled Enduring Hope. Today, I want to talk to you about serious business. Did you, ever, anybody ever say that to you? This is serious business. This is serious. You know, I, I've often been told that we're supposed to take something serious, but not take ourselves that serious. And so here are some quotes for those who take life a bit too seriously. A day without sunshine is like night. On the other hand, you have different fingers. I just got lost in thought. It was unfamiliar territory. 42.7% of all statistics are made up. I feel like I'm diagonally parked in a parallel universe. Love may be blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. I wonder how much deeper the ocean would be without all the sponges. Honk if you love peace and quiet. Always borrow money from a pessimist. They won't expect you to pay it back. Always try to be modest and be very proud of it. And here's one for many of you. He who last laughs He who laughs last thinks slowest. There you go. All right. I grew up in the country. We had animals. We had horses, cows, chickens, a hog or two, and all kinds of critters. And we had equipment like tractors. And so there was a time for playing, but not when you were working around. You know, it would be a, it would turn, a good day could turn into a bad day if you got run over by a horse, a cow, or a tractor. So you had to learn to be serious. There were times to be have fun and there were times to be serious. And my dad was very good about reminding us of that. Well, when you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you see some really serious missionaries. You see Paul is pretty serious because he's made this commitment, a very serious commitment to a very serious mission because the fact was and still is that the, the eternal destiny of men and women and boys and girls were in the balance. And so he took what he did very seriously. I'm sure he had a great sense of humor, but when you look at all that he went through, he took what he did very seriously. And his love for God and his love for people were evidenced. In verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. There was something wonderful about what he was doing, the seriousness of what he was doing that brought great joy to him because when he saw people come into the kingdom, that brought him joy because he knew that that was going to be eternal. So I want to talk to you this morning about this serious business beginning with verse 9. He talks about a very serious work that he's doing. Chapter 2 and verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He was talking about very serious work. And the first thing he said he was talking about there was the work of reputation. Do you work on your reputation? Well, you know, if you walk with God and you're in His Word, 
your reputation will work on you, won't it? But it's important that we have a good reputation. And so Paul said, hey, you know what, you know what our reputation was when we came to you? We worked really hard. We, did, we weren't a burden to you. You know, one of the wonderful things about the cooperative program and when you give to your offering and when you give to our missions offerings is you're sending a missionary into some place where they're not having to raise support or asking money for, for anybody who is there. They're just there to share the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing. He, was, he had support from other people, but when he went into places, he worked very hard to show them that he wasn't there to take anything from them. He was there to give them the gospel. And so he said, we worked really hard to make sure that you understood that. There was toil and difficulty and there were a lot of hucksters in their day, and there, there are there's still a lot of hucksters in our day who, who, who want to know what not what they can give, but what they can get out of people. And so Paul said, we wanted to let your guard down on that. We came just to work with you and work hard and show you that we're genuine. He was working on a reputation to share the gospel. And so that was the second thing, the work of proclamation. Not only reputation, but proclamation. He said, we wanted to be holy before you so that when you saw our lives, you'd listen to our words. Now, isn't that important for all of us? You know, words are meaningless unless our lives match up to those words. And so Paul said, hey, that's what we wanted you to see. I read a story about uh, holiness uh, could be akin to uh, what people call an unedited life. In other words, if somebody started videoing your day when you got up in the morning and videoed it all day long to the end of the day and got to the end of the day and you sat down with your friends and your family to and the Lord, of course, to watch the unedited video, you wouldn't have to edit much. Then you would know that you were genuine in your walk with Christ. But if we're walking around with a lot of secrets and a lot of things in our hearts and our lives that you know, we're different when we come in here on Monday than we are when we go out there on when we come in here on Sunday than we are when we go out there on Monday, then there's a breakdown in reputation and therefore there's a breakdown in, in the credibility of our lives and sharing. So Paul said, we wanted to show you and then tell you. And that's what they did. They did the work of proclamation. He said, we were exhorting you. We were pleading with you. That word exhort mean, comes from two words. Para, which means beside, and kaleo, which means to call, which means we were called to walk alongside you and exhort you and encourage you. He didn't say we came to, to tell you what to do. He said we came to walk with you through this process. We came to, to join you in this journey of following Christ and to help you through the ups and downs. We were going to be there with you to exhort you and then to encourage you. It, it's a closely related word. It also has to do with comfort. It's, he said, we did it like a father would to his child. You know how you are with your children when, when you're growing up and they're learning new things and you're having to help them and say, you can do it, you can do it. You know, you're pushing them along to help them learn to ride a bicycle and all of a sudden you've, you've exhorted them, you've encouraged them. All of a sudden you're not holding on, but they don't know it. You know, they're doing it on their own. But it's it's... You're right there with them along the way. And that's what Paul says. We were exhorting you and encouraging. We were, we were with you all along the way. We gave you our reputation and then we gave you the message. But more than that, we gave you our lives. We didn't say go do it. We said we're going to do it with you. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about this serious work. It was serious work, but there was great joy in that work. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But encouraging is always important. Like a father to his child. 
uh, when I was a kid, I, we went to Royal Ambassadors. Any of y'all ever go to Royal Ambassadors growing up? Yeah, we did. Did you learn the pledge? All right, if you learned the pledge, are you ready? As a Royal Ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. To have a Christ-like concern for all people. To learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world. To join with other people in sharing the message of Christ. And the final one was, I pledge to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't go to church much. But I went up to Royal Ambassadors on Wednesday nights because we always played football or baseball or ping pong. I was ping pong champion of Webb, Texas. But when I said thank you for that applause, I, I feel so special. But, but you know what? It was serious business because in my, even in my little boy heart, I knew that when, I, when they made me learn that pledge and it was there that I learned the Lord's Prayer, that there was something special about that. There was time to have fun and play games. There was time to settle in and say, hey, this is important. This is eternal. This is serious business. And so Paul said, it's serious work. And the, part of the work is your reputation and the other part is the proclamation. Not only walking it, but talking about it. So the second thing he said about, he talked about was God's serious word that we sung about this morning. The, the Word of God is serious. Look at verse 13. He says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I love that line, don't you? It's not only the Word of God, but it, it, it performs its work in us. It is a, a living thing that happens in our lives. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost." Paul said he had a serious word. They had a serious word to share with them. Why was it so serious? Why is God's word serious? Because of its author. You, there's thousands and thousands of books for information, but their information, this is inspiration. This is God breathed. The Bible says that God carried men along. Holy men of old, He carried them along by His Spirit. He gave them the words to write down for us so that we could have this forever and ever. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. That it's able to, it's able to reveal the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So that we, when we look into God's Word, God's Word is looking into us. When we're reading God's Word, it is reading us. When we're reading it, it's doing its work within us. It, it is a transformational book. Amen? Do you, know, do you know why so often as Christians we get into the doldrums and we're not growing? It's because we've, we've set this aside. For some reason we've gotten too busy. For some reason our devotion life is suffering and we're not in God's Word. Listen, you can come hear a sermon. You can come to a Sunday school class. 
And those things are important. But you need to love God's holy word, your copy of it, or your co- you probably got more than one at your house. We've got more than one in our house. You see, have you ever heard it said the Bible is the most bought and the least read book in the world? You know, if you're not reading it, if you're not getting into it, it's not getting into you. And so he says it's important that you believed it not just for the word of man, but, but for what it was, the word of God. But then he says, not only did you believe it, but you practiced it. And what was the proof that they were great witnesses? Well, they were that. That they took care of each other? I'm sure they did that. But Paul said, no, the the proof for you is that you learned to suffer just like the churches in Judea. The proof of your genuineness was when the fire got hot, you didn't quit. You didn't give up. You you were willing to, to hang on and believe what God said through all the things that you were going through. What is the proof of our faith? The proof of our faith is often not when things are good, but when things are bad, right? And it's those times when we cling to the promises of God. And it's those times when we hunger for His Word. I never forget, you know, many days when I just spent an hour or two just walking around, reading God's Word and allowing Him to speak into my heart what no human being could the comfort and the grace empowered by His Spirit that only God can give. That's the only way you'll be able to dig out of a hole too as a Christian. But aren't you thankful that as Christians, God has not only given us this precious, wonderful gift of the Spirit within us, but He's given us the gift of His Word and He's given us the gift of prayer. And with those three things, there is power that transforms and meets us at the point of our need to help us move on. And that's what he said about the Thessalonians. He said, hey, you guys have proved that you're serious because you're serious about God's Word. And that was what was important to them. And then he talked about how people who were hostile to the Word, that they hindered the Word. And he talked about the Jews and how they had filled up the wrath of God. And if you look through the history of the Jewish people, we know that they've suffered tremendously. And a lot of that was be- is because of the rejection of the Word of God and the promises of God. Now that is not an excuse for anybody to be anti-Semitic. We owe our very lives to the Jewish people. Our Savior was a Jewish man. Okay, that just means that they rejected the word of God and the promise of God. And when when Christ came, they didn't recognize him. But are you praying that they will? You see, shouldn't our hearts break over every man, woman and boy and girl who has not yet come to know Jesus, including the Jewish people from which our salvation and our faith comes? What did Jesus say? Salvation comes from the Jews. But God said he poured out his wrath on them because of their rejection of him what does it take for us to be under the wrath of god what do we have to do the bible says you don't have to do anything jesus said he who has the son has eternal life he who does not have the son listen he who does not have the son shall not see life for the wrath of god abides on him until i am willing to turn from my sin and trust in jesus The eternal wrath of God rests on my heart and my life. But it only takes a simple act of repentance and faith to make that completely change and different. 
So if you've never done that this morning, don't reject. The only thing you have to do to be separated and under the wrath of God is do nothing. But the most wonderful, simple thing you can do is say, I know I've sinned and I'm under God's wrath. I thank, I'm thankful that Jesus took the wrath of God for me on the cross and now I'm putting my trust in Him so that I'll never be under the wrath of God again. Amen? All, all of us, everybody needs to do this. And if you haven't, then you need to come down today. But we don't need to be a hindrance to the Word of God by our life. We can be a hindrance by our lifestyle. We can be a hindrance by our silence. You know, people say, well, I'm just going to be a witness by my lifestyle. And people will know that I'm a Christian. Really? Are you really that devout? You know, even Jesus came and He had to tell people what He came for. And so that's kind of a cop-out. And I know we like to quote the old uh, line from, I think it's Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel to all men and if necessary, use words. It's a wonderful, sweet little quote, but it's anti-biblical. It's not biblical. The Bible says, speak up and tell people where you found bread. Because after all, aren't other people beggars looking for where we found the bread to feed our souls? We don't, we don't share with people because we're better than they are. We share with people because we know we're in the same boat without Jesus. And we want to help them. And so, someone has said, I have read many books, but the Bible reads me. Charles Colson said, the family Bible is more often used to adorn, free, uh, to adorn coffee tables or press flowers than to feed souls and discipline lives. I want to warn you, and, and uh, I want to warn you in a very loving way, if you're a family that has children and you're trying to raise them up, and I know that there has never been a more busy time for children than there is now. You can have them in everything, but you need to be sure as a Christian parent you are not only you are, are not only should do this. You are responsible under God to make sure they're educated in the Word of God. That your family Bible needs to be more than a decoration in your home. I want to encourage you to do that. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But I think you know what I mean. The Bible's you know someone said one time God feeds the birds, but He don't throw the food into the nest. And it's the same for us. God will feed us but He don't throw the food into our mouths. we got to be hungry for it and get it and read it and, and digest it and then live it out. So, he's serious about the work. He was serious about the Word. And then finally, he said, when we're serious about the Word and about the work, we can have some very serious joy. Look at the last part of this in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus' coming? For you are our glory and joy. There's a couple of contrasts here. One is that they were set back by Satan. He said, Satan, Satan kept us. We wanted to come. I wanted to come. Paul had a deep love for those people. And he said, I wanted to come more than once, but Satan hindered me. What was it? I don't know. He doesn't say. We don't know. Maybe, maybe it was his health. We know he had some health issues. Maybe it was persecution. He was unable to come. Maybe it was some edict from some magistrate somewhere that hindered him for a season. Uh, maybe it was some trouble in other churches. We just don't know. But, but think about this with me. Of all the, quote, important people in the whole world, who did Satan attack? Three preachers. 
three missionaries who were sharing the gospel. If we're serious about the work in the Word of God, we can be assured that we're going to be under attack, right? I mean, we might as well just expect that. That's part of life. That's part of life, especially of a Christian. Now, if you're not serious and you're not walking with God and you're never sharing, He'll probably leave you alone. But if we, ever, if we get serious about it, there, there will be setbacks. There will be troubles and difficulties that we have to fight through. He will attack us, but our task is to, is to take those setbacks and turn them into comebacks in the power of Christ. And so notice he says there's setbacks, but always, also he said there's some very serious joy that goes along with this. C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that quote. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Do you know in heaven there are no tears? In heaven there is no pain. In heaven there is no sickness or ailments. And in heaven there is never, ever, ever, ever any death. It's only joy. It's only perfection. It's only the presence of God. It's only the goodness and the grace of God. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Paul said, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. And he kept saying that. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He kept saying that. And he said, because of that, I have joy. You see, Paul probably didn't have happiness every day because his circumstances were, were brutal at times. But every day he had joy. Because every day he looked into heaven, he looked to the skies, I think in hopes that this would be the day that Jesus would come. But he knew that as long as God left him here, he said to me to live as Christ, what? And to die as gain. To die as joy. And he said, you are my joy. When, when Paul gets to heaven, I, can you imagine getting up there and being able to see Paul? And all of those converts, I don't know exactly how all that's going to work, but I got a feeling we're going to run into a lot of people in heaven who were converted under the ministry of Paul, who was that terrible, terrible persecutor Saul of Tarsus, whose heart and life was so changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful time that's going to be. He said, you are my joy. Who is your joy? Who is your joy that you minister to? Who's going to be your joy this week? Who's going to be your joy to share the gospel with? Who are, who are you going to have in mind? And you say, preacher, I hadn't thought about it. Well, maybe we don't think about it, but maybe we should. If we really want to have super joy when we get to heaven, we know it's going to be perfect and Jesus is going to be there. But if we really want to have super joy before we get there and experience some of that heavenly joy, then we need to look around and share the blessings and the abundance of God with others. That's how this life works, isn't it? Jesus said, if you want to, if you want to lose your life, try to hang on to it. But if you really want to live, just give it away. Just give your life away to others. And isn't that what Paul was doing? How do we overcome? How do we overcome when Satan is hindering us? I want to share this with you and, and we're going to finish up, but I think this is really important. This is from Brian Harbour, who was a pastor for many years. But what can we do when we're, when we're feeling down, when we're, when we're not experiencing the joy and we're not really serious about the work or His Word. Number one, he says we need to remember who Satan is. Our enemy. The one who wants to deny the presence of God. 
He wants to deny the presence of God in our lives. God is with you. What did God say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? God is with us. That doesn't mean God always is happy with it, but He's always with us. He wants us to deny the presence of God. He wants us to dilute the Word of God. He wants us to dilute the Word of God. It's happening in our society and in churches across the United States of America. The Word of God is being diluted. I heard about a pastor recently who stood up in front of a bunch of teenagers and taught them on world religions and he got to the end of his lesson and he said, I believe at the end that everybody who is a part of another religion will get a second chance, that Jesus will appear to them at the end of time. They'll get a second chance. Is that in God's Word? No, that, that is a lie from the pit of hell. If we believe that, then why should we ever tell anybody about Jesus if He's just going to make it all right at the, at the last time? That's one of the lies of Satan. He wants to dilute the Word of God. And then the third one is disillusion of the people of God. He wants to disillusion the people of God. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to be ineffective. So how do we fight that? We need to remember who we are. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a child of God? We are children of God. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have been saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. We are not only, we are not only saved, but we're already there. The Bible says that we have died and our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And He has seated us with Him in heavenly places. So if somebody says, are you going to heaven? You can just say, I'm already there. Jesus is there, therefore I'm there. He's, he's already got my place reserved. We are children of God. We are loved by God. Do you believe that? Now, are you always lovely and lovable? That's why we have to have grace, right? And mercy. I am loved by God. And when I understand that I'm loved by God, and even when I feel like I'm not loved by God because I've blown it, I need, to, I need to trot outside the walls of Jerusalem and look up at the cross and say, it is finished. I know that I am loved by God. Look at that. I am loved by God. I'm His child. I'm loved by God. And I am empowered by God. You shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses. And we need to remember who God is, don't we? We need to remember who God is. He is the one who has created heaven and earth. I marvel every day, I truly do, I marvel every day that the God who created heaven and earth would save me and want a relationship with me. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. Are you still amazed? at the grace of God every day. Remember who He is. He created heaven and earth. He holds the world and all of creation in His hands. He really does have the whole world in His hands. And He will someday bring this world to its consummation. And Jesus said it just as plainly as He could say it that at the end of days, angels will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and they will gather the children of God to God. Will you be part of that gathering? 
serious. We shouldn't take ourselves too serious because we're very broken and flawed people. But we need to take the work serious, don't we? It's pretty serious work. It's the work of reputation and proclamation. We need to take the Word serious. Don't ever let the devil dilute this for you because if he does, it's a slippery slope and you'll fall off and go into a chasm. And we need to understand finally about the serious joy that comes in persevering to the end. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray. This morning,